0: I am very, very, very excited to talk about today's topic and to welcome today's guest. Her name is Stephanie Alexander from Alexander Family Farm in Northern California, where they produce 100% A2, A2 organic milk, which is called the digestible dairy. We're going to get into why that is called that in just a sec. And we're here to really to talk about the differences between various milk products on the market, specifically the differences between A1 and A2 milk what's healthy, what's not, why, what's the deal with the high rate of maybe milk intolerance. I'd love to kind of get into that, which we see so much more of nowadays. And I will admit right off the bat, this is not a topic that I know a lot about. And I've loosely heard of A1, A2 milk, and I feel like I know A2 milk is better, but I don't know all the details. I I'm really excited to get educated on this topic in more detail and also to educate all of you guys listening so that you can all make informed choices based on what's right for you and your family. So, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Stephanie. Edwina. A pleasure to be here. So happy to have you. So maybe you can start with just telling us a little bit about yourself, your family, your farm, a bit of the background, and what absolutely. you absolutely.
1: So my husband Blake and I, we've been married thirty-three years. We are fourth-generation organic um, grass-based dairy farmers. We actually went organic uh, twenty-two years ago, um, but I was born and raised on a dairy in Southern California, and I met Blake in college. And we now have five children. They're all adults. And we have two grandchildren. Our oldest um, kids are involved in the dairy in different aspects. And our um, son runs our fifth generation dairy in another county. But we're a coastal dairy. So we live right on the basically extreme Northern California coast. So Oregon is just a few miles away. And we can hear the ocean from our bedroom windows. So we're always in this climate that's very cool season, it's just an ideal Mecca for cows to be grazing grass. So we've been grass base for generations. It's how we dairy and um, very exciting and um, just came across the research on A2 by accident because we look at grass-based genetics, and I keep looking outside because I can see the cows grazing, (laughs) and we look at grass-based genetics, um, we were looking to countries where grass-based genetics were were prevalent, um, not so prevalent in the United States. And one of those countries was New Zealand, and just kept researching and researching and using their genetics.
0: Interesting. Okay. So, I, I, first of all, I love that it, this is a family affair. Everyone's involved. You've been doing this for so long. And I'd love if you can kind of enlighten us, enlighten me, as to what are some of the things that um, maybe those, again, f- farms in New Zealand would – like what are the characteristics of them and what are the some of the things that you try to emulate yourself and what basically makes your cows healthier and the products that you produce healthier?
1: Sure. So when um, I, I like to tell people when we went organic 22 years ago, Blake, who's a great cowman, he became an, a grass and soil enthusiast and me, the mother of five little kids at the time and in charge of raising the calves and, and our herd health program, I became a nutrient dense foodie mom and wanted to find more nutritious foods. And in reading about um, stuff going on in New Zealand, the way they rotate through their pastures um, the grass as they breed or they use in their fields, but also the cows, we um, stumbled upon the research of A2 milk. And a book was written called The Devils in the Milk by Dr. Keith Woodford. And eventually our two daughters went to Lincoln University where he was a doctor uh, professor at. And so it's really neat, the connections we've developed through the years. So anyway, in reading that book, the first aha I had was that breast milk and goat milk is A2, that is why everybody, all babies can drink breast milk. But also if you can't drink dairy, you can drink goat milk. I've known that for a long time. And when I read that in the book, I right away thought there is something here. This is real and um, it's exciting. So no one else really knew a lot about A2 genetics yet. So we ended up buying our our genetics through New Zealand um, uh, bull companies. And then also um, just sending our hair samples to New Zealand to get tested, because what it is, is you get one DNA from mom, the, the dam, one from dad, the sire. And so you're looking for A2, A2. All mammals are A2. Cows just had a mutation some point in way back in time where an A1. So when we get a DNA sample back from our cows, we're looking for that A2, A2 DNA. And- what if I
0: ask really quickly. Is the A1, A2, is this a protein that you're, or is it yeah. a, a genetic yes. marker on DNA? Okay. It's a protein. Yes. So
1: it's, we're talking strictly protein. Uh, protein is an amino acid chain, uh, 209 mm-hmm. links long. And there's a part of it, number 67, where there's actually a histidine instead of a proline. And that causes seven links not to break apart. So now you have this foreign protein in your gut that you can't digest. And a lot of people feel like they have um, lactose intolerance symptoms. I can't drink dairy. I'm lactose intolerant. Most people around the world who are lactose intolerant are actually sensitive to that protein, that A1 protein that's foreign in their body.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So this is very interesting. So here we go with the science information. So we've got two types of protein. We've got A1 and A2. You're saying that all cows started off with A2 protein types, right? Yes. And then it just somehow went along the line naturally, or was there some kind of deliberate like, modification, genetic modification or anything that happened with breed or breeding, crossbreeding to try and get this to become a two milk or what's the benefit for farmers? Some,
1: I, I don't know exactly. Some people think it, it happened hundreds or thousands of years that there were those certain bulls that were certain high producing milk bowls, and they happened to carry this a one mutation. They were used in genetics all across the world. And now today, is it a hundred years later? Is it a thousand years later? Nobody really knows. We do know, like, for example, in the country of India, where it's the Bos indicus breed of cows, the cows with the hump, the water buffalo, they're all A2. So they were never affected. So people who come from India, they come into America after drinking their culture's milk and they drink our dairy and they right away say, I can't drink American milk. I'm lactose intolerant here. So now they're very knowledgeable about A2 dairy and the digestibility of A2 dairy, but in the Boss Taurus breeds, the, the modern breeds, your Holstein, Jerseys, Guernseys, Brown Swiss, are the ones that are going to be A1, more predominantly A1. So it is a genetic test we have to do, kind of like the 23andMe for cows.
0: Mm, exactly. Okay, so this is so interesting because it is something I've heard of many times before. Uh, about, about, Uh, Canadians, Americans, you know, traveling the world and being able to digest different things, grains, but dairy for sure being one of them as well. You know, in Europe, I can do that. I can eat this. And in Thailand, I can eat this or in, um, you know, India, I can have this. And it is so interesting that to see that there are such minute differences that can make such an effect on how we metabolize things in our body. And this is a perfect example, A1 versus A2 proteins in the milk. So I'm wondering if, uh, just to kind of understand the landscape in the United States, and I don't know if you know a whole lot about in Canada as well, we know that, I mean, I assume that majority of the milk that's out there on the market, like in grocery stores, conventional milk, is mostly A1. Is that that's, right? That is correct. And yes. is there, again, um, is there any type of benefit that you know of for, for, man um, like, for for farmers, for manufacturers, whatever it is, to continue to produce A1 milk? And is it any more expensive to kind of have to switch over to A2?
1: A lot of it is the processing as far as is it expensive. It's when we started breeding A2 in 2007, and by the time it was 2010, we were seeing and also DNA testing and able to separate our cows that, hey, we have a bunch of cows now that are 100% A2. Processors weren't set up to separate our milk. Our milk was special. It was one thing when we went organic, and then processors started separating organics as organic demand increased. But that's the hard part. But I believe more and more dairies are becoming aware of the A2, and that's a good thing. We want more A2 out there. We want better digestibility. Now, when we were kids, when I was a kid, and I'm in my 50s, I didn't hear of a lot of dairy sensitivity. Hmm. I'm questioning if it's just all the other processed foods and it's just one of those straws that breaks the camel's back. You know, we were drinking a lot of A1 back then, but yet we weren't affected. We were eating wheat, but we weren't affected. Mm -hmm. And gluten is a protein as well. And so today everybody's so sensitive because of all the fractionated processed foods there are. And A2 is just, is one of the, Original whole foods, if you can go back to that, if you can go back to all just natural foods in their best, purest form, you're going to have a healthier body.
0: Oh, I love that you just said that because I've been having so many conversations with even just family members and close friends about this. And, you know, again, everyone's saying dairy's evil and grains are evil and things like this. <laughs> And I'm like, I really don't think, and it's actually quite funny because I don't have dairy in my diet. I can have little bits, but I I do try and avoid it mostly because it gives me acne and I have PCOS and it kind of exacerbates my symptoms. And I always wondered, you know, is it, la- I know it's not lactose. I can, you know, that's fine for me. What is it? And I've kind of tried, um, trying to figure out like, what could it be? Why does this happen? And also understanding that milk has been consumed as such a staple food it's so mm-hmm. nourishing it's been used for generations and generations and it's always yeah. been exactly like you said healthy easy to digest and and absolutely no issues with it and so i do also believe big time that it's hard to pinpoint what it is but i do think the cumulative effects of our processed foods in our diet the the like types of you know antibiotics in our food system mm-hmm. So many things that have to do with, um, you know, our lifestyle are all affecting how our body is able to process things, period. And our microbiome is not as strong. There's there's a million different things. And so to go and blame it on something like one food, like dairy and say that that is the main issue. I really don't think that again, that's fair. And I don't think that it's an evil thing in the slightest, Mm -hmm. um, but you do have to still understand that, yes, you you may still have a harder time digesting it. Why is that? This is awesome that we're talking about this because it really could be, you're saying, because of the A1 protein and not necessarily the fact that all of a sudden everybody's lactose intolerant.
1: Correct, correct. And let's let's talk about just drinking that glass of milk. So yeah. you take a glass of our milk. It's organic, regenerative dairy hundred percent, a two, a two. So you drink it. And the first thing people notice is, wow, it's refreshing. I don't get that phlegm. Mm. And that to me is your body right away saying, Oh, there's a foreign protein in here. Yuck. You know, that feeling. So anyway, you drink the milk. Now it's digesting and it digests just fine. Now, if I were to drink the A1, like I said, it, you get that phlegm at first and it goes into your gut. Now you have this foreign protein in your gut. It sits there and that beta casein, Morphine seven doesn't break apart, so now it's sitting in your gut. That is what's causing that, that lactose to ferment, and you get the belly ache pretty soon. But now, say you have a weak digestive system and you have a leaky gut, a, a poor digestion. Now you got this beta casein morphine seven. It crosses that leaky gut, and now you have this foreign protein all through your body. Mm. And Even people who have great guts are going to get that cross. And and so then they go to the doctor because they have an autoimmune disease. They're dealing with eczema, dark circles under their eyes, maybe the acne. Who knows? But doctors don't know what to do. They they give you steroids. They give you different things. But is it the A1 protein all throughout your body? And a more serious thing about um, children, infants in particular, say there's A1 in the infant formula because you can't breastfeed for some fortunate reason, say there's A1 protein. Now you've got this beta casein morphine. Now there's a word morphine in there. It's floating around that baby and it's they've got permeable everything, permeable brains. You got that protein floating through the body, crosses the blood brain barrier, and you're gonna get a morphine reaction to where, where the respiration slows down. This is a critical topic. There's a research out of Poland talking about the linkage of A1 milk And infant formula to SIDS, because the restoration stops, the baby stops breathing, and they die. And most of the babies are linked to infant formula. Mm -hmm. So it's really crucial that infant formula is made out of A2 milk. And of course, we went out of A2 organic milk, because that's even better.
0: Hey everyone, I'm just pausing the interview for one quick second to mention that what was just said about the A1 protein crossing the blood-brain barrier and potentially causing SIDS can sound very, very scary. So I just want to mention here that there weren't any large-scale studies done on this, only very, very small group studies. In fact, there was really only that That study from Poland that she just mentioned, that was probably the most in-depth, although there are some other studies that have come out as well that are indicating that there is a correlation to this, but it's not a direct causation as of yet or potentially not at all. And also understanding that if a mother is breastfeeding, that the risk, if it is there, is still the same with breastfed moms because, or breastfed babies, because if they are consuming A1 dairy proteins, then those A1 proteins are still going to cross into the baby's body. And then again, if the claim is actually true, you know, potentially increasing the risk of SIDS. But please know that it is very, very few studies that have even suggested this kind of thing and that a lot more research is required before we Make uh, a serious claim about this. Okay, back
1: to the interview. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, we're working with that. Uh, we're in conversation with a lot of infant companies. They know um, that this is important. I haven't heard any publication or anything other than the research I dug out um, through friends on this research out of Poland. But it, this is a serious thing. Somebody needs to be talking about it. Parents out there are crying and they shouldn't. Not when we know the answers. And in fact, it's really exciting. There's a new company. They launched a, um, it's called a toddler formula, but it's actually an infant formula called um, Serenity Kids. And it's made with our own organic A2 uh, dairy.
0: Oh my God. That's very exciting. Yeah.
1: Just launched in Whole Foods a few weeks ago. And so we're just thrilled that better foods for more babies. That to me as a farmer, that is a purposeful life to live.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting to hear. You know, it is, it is true. So as a baby, obviously they're going through undue suffering and parents are going through undue suffering if they're, if they're consuming, you know, that A2 protein and the, in the casein that's used in the formula. Um, or and then, A1 protein.
1: sorry,
0: A1. Or sorry A1. A1 protein. You're right. Sorry. A1. And then if you think about the majority of, of kids are transitioning onto some type of usually cow's milk at around one year of age, which again is becoming less and less common. And then when we're trying to find a substitute for, you know, what could you substitute cow's milk with? Well, if you're going to do almond milk, you're losing all the fat and you're losing all right. the, you know, the, the, well, it has calcium supplemented, but you know, you don't have the protein. If you do the rice milk, we're also losing the fat. If you do the coconut milk, we're losing the protein, you know? And so when you really try and look at like what is an equal substitute, you really don't have something that is equal, not just on the nutrient side, but also without any of the side effects, like some of the soy products out there, you know what I mean? So I think that it would be such such a gift to be able to have, again, milk be that that very well-loved, very common, easy And nutritious option, that's just automatic for, for all toddlers to be able to switch onto again, without any, any side effects, any digestive issues. So it's just, it's just such a big part of children's diets and it provides so much that it's, it's definitely a a fight worth fighting is to try and, and get that to become again,
1: a, a daily or, or just a more of a staple in their diet. I agree. I, I feel like there's going to be an awakening where people are going to realize, wow, when I feed my child a glass of whole milk, even if it's at 10 o'clock in the morning, they're ready to play again. They're not hungry, they're not cranky, and they're not craving carbs because mm-hmm. they're satisfied. Mm-hmm. And um, or when they come home from school, a glass of whole milk takes yes. them a long way. Um, there's so many nutrients and it's not fractionated. There's a lot of people that will make a comment or we hear the comments all the time that, oh, well, cows wean their calves, therefore. They, um we should wean our children and not drink any milk. But what a shame you don't have access to that beautiful glass of milk. But to call any one of those products milk, it's a shame and it's not the same. Yeah, it's definitely not the
0: same. And I mean, we support for us, like we're always looking like, how can we support all families, no matter how they choose to <clears throat> eat, what they choose to eat, what their beliefs are. And you can do it, to be honest, you can do it. But it's harder. It's harder. And it's um, it's just, again, if you have that option and if it is there, you want to be able to get make it as easy as possible. And again, have something that you know is 100% only going to nourish and not going to have any side effects for your child. I would love to know if you can kind of educate us a little bit on the different types of milk out there. And uh, also just talk about the homogenization process. Reason why I ask is because I'm really not sure. And I did notice on your website that I think yours is unhomogenized. I don't remember the term that you uh, put on the website, but it's funny. Once I was, I don't know when this was, it was probably about seven years ago. I was at our local farmers market, and um, there was a there was a farmer stand there. And I remember they offered a sample of unhomogenized milk, raw milk. And I was so scared to have it. I was like, "What's this going to taste like?" I thought it would, you know, almost have a curdled texture. Like I had no idea. And I drank some, and it was absolutely delicious. And I was so pleasantly surprised. And I was wondering, like, why do we homogenize the milk? Like, is it really just uh, an aesthetic thing? And, you know, maybe you can walk us through the process, why people do it and what you do instead and what the benefits are.
1: Certainly. First, I'll talk about what we do. So when we take our milk to our creamery, we basically pasteurize it and that's heating it to a higher temperature. So you're killing all um, bacteria in it. And it's called vat pasteurization. It's a lower, um, lower and slower pasteurization process as opposed to ultra pasteurize where it's extremely high heat, really fast. And so our vat pasteurized has about a 25-day shelf life. And so it's still considered a fresh food. food. Like when you buy fruits and vegetables, those are all fresh foods. Ultra pasteurized allows for milk to be transported all over the country because it has more of a 75-day shelf life. And you will not see ultra pasteurized milk non-homogenized. So what homogenized is, is so our milk has cream top. Mm -hmm. And we have a bottle. So that cream is just right and snugged in the bottleneck and held there. What happens when you transport milk in a carton, it's going to shake and create butter in that fat. So you homogenize it to make the fat go suspended all throughout. And the way they homogenize is, is you force the fat through a cylinder where the fat is broken apart and now it's suspended all throughout. Goat milk is naturally homogenized. So goat milk doesn't sit there with the cream going to the top. Our milk from Alexander Family Farm gets the cream to the top on our vat pasteurized line. So when that's what the difference is. Did that answer the question? That definitely
0: did, and I have a follow-up question to that. Sure. Is there any um I'm not really sure where in the process vitamins get added back in? Like I know that, you know, I think anyway from what I had known from before that vitamin D might be added into the milk or if there's other vitamins, I don't know if they add vitamin A or what it might be, but because I assumed or what I learned was that some of the vitamins get lost in the processing of the milk. Mm -hmm. And is that through homogenization process or is that through something else or is is this through?
1: Yeah, that is through the processing of pasteurization. And so in the USDA standards, their milk is standardized. They want Children, they want people to have certain amount of nutrients. So we're required to have a nutrient level. So for example, low fat milk, you're going to add the vitamin A to it because the fat is where the vitamins are. So if you go low fat, you've taken out the fat. Gotcha. And then vitamin D is added to boost the nutrients because we know vitamin D is is a needed nutrient. It's kind of like when they discovered rickets in the Midwest years and years and years ago, they started fortifying breads and stuff like that. And and I don't know all that history, but I know that there's standards of vitamins that we know that people need for their nutrient requirements. And part of that is making milk standardized. And another example is um, butterfat fat. On whole milk in California is 3.5%. Butter fat in the United States is 3.25%. So every state might have their different standardization. We on our, we do have a national brand um, that we launched uh, in January, and it's 4%. We're higher percent butter fat because we want to call out the real nutrition is in the fat. The real taste, of course, is in the fat. And it's for, needed for your brains, for digestion, for your health. And so this whole non-fat craze that we went through 30, 40, 50 years ago, it's gone by the wayside. People are coming back to fats, but they need to be healthy fats. They need to be fats, you know, when animals are on grass, because the fats are going to have any of the chemicals in it. And you don't want to eat some, some sort of fat that had chemicals or antibiotics or, or, um, herbicide on their food. You want to know what their, your animals ate and that's all the fat, the good fats.
0: Yes, okay. So in love with this. Okay. My question now is so well, I guess a comment first is because I also get that question a lot is, you know, when should I switch my child off of homogenized milk, which by the way in Canada it's 3.2 hour standard, mm-hmm. uh, and i i'm like why would you switch them off like for me i'm like the fat is healthy the fat is good and especially again what i what i'm always trying to promote is going back to whole foods diet on you know unprocessed foods and when you have like you said the good fats it's going to be healthy and nourishing for them but that being said it depends on again if you're talking about the conventional standard milk that's out there versus the one that you're talking about which you produce you're going to find differences in the types of fat. So not only the chemicals that you said might be, that might be in the grass that the cow consumes that then goes into the fat that, you know, is in the milk, but also could you talk to us a little bit about the, I think there's like higher levels of CLA maybe. Is this an organic milk specifically, or is this an A2 milk specifically? Or again, does it have to do with the fact that I don't think it has anything to do with the pasteurization process, but why don't you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Sure, the fats, the fast omegas, the conjugated mm-hmm. linoleic acids, all the good healthy CLAs we want in fat, that is because cows are eating grass. Mm-hmm. And it is higher levels in organic milk because cows are required to be on grass. And because like I told you earlier, we're grass-based dairy farmers, our CLA levels, our omega-3s, the good ones, are very high in, um, in, in our uh, butter fats of our cows. Perfect. So it's really
0: their diet. And so you're saying that, um, as long as it's certified organic, because that would be the requirement that they're feeding on grass, then you yes. should have higher levels of CLAs, which is those yes. good fats great for brain development. By the way, this is very, very important for growing babies and growing toddlers, especially up to three years of age where their brains are rapidly growing during this period, um, to be able to support that growth with those omega threes and, you know, those healthy fats. So, Another reason, you know, why why this is such a great superfood. Um, so that's really helpful to know. So we've got organic, grass fed, and then on
1: top of it, we want a two milk protein right. proteins yes. in there
0: to make it easy. And, and
1: you had asked, you know, when's the, when should we transition our children off of and go to a lower fat? Never. Never. That's my how whole I, life, my whole life, full fat girl. Yeah. And all of our children.
0: And and, and, and I
1: wasn't the problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not the problem. That's exactly what I'm thinking is I think when we think back to, as you kind of alluded to at one point, that low fat craze that we went through in the eighties and the nineties, um, even the early two thousands, it was all about, you know, fat fearing kind of messaging and thinking that fat was making us, you know, having all these diseases. And so that's where we got in the habit of taking kids off of full fat milk which we knew it was important for them at early ages but then we're like well now they're just going to gain weight why the extra calories you know if we gave them a, a full fat milk after age 2 why would we do that let's switch to skim or let's switch to 1% and now knowing all we know where fat is so incredibly helpful for balancing blood sugars for sustaining hunger for again brain growth for literally like hormonal health everything it's it's like you're actually taking out one of the most important nutrients for no for no good reason again we're not trying to be calorie restricting if anything, we want to give them, continue to give them the nourishing calories from the right places. So yeah, I, I fully agree. I don't see any need to ever take your child off of whole fat milk. Exactly. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> yeah, That's, this is so, so interesting. And I'm sure we're going to get a ton more questions that come up from people who are listening to this. And I know the more I mull this over, I'm probably going to have some questions but I think I'm going to end it with this last one. Where can you buy your milk and where can you generally find a two milk? Again, if you do know any information in Canada as well, that would be so helpful. But in the United States, we have tons and tons of listeners in the United States. So anything, you know, will definitely be a help for us.
1: Well, first people can go to our website and um, find our store locator right away and put in their zip code and they can find stores around them. It helps if you have a natural food store. A lot of them, Um, can access our milk through major distributors. We're on the major distribution trucks. And if you live in a remote area, there's a company called Azure Standard and they ship all across the country. And that's been fun to work with them as well. Um, I encourage you to get to know your local organic farmers. A lot of organic farmers are moving this direction. They are producing A2 milk and and they're out there. You can find them. You just got to know where your food comes from. And it might be one of your neighborhood farmers.
0: Love that. So ask, talk, get to know them. And uh, yes. and uh, yeah, I'm sure you will all be able to find it. So that's so, so helpful. Thank you so much for all this information, Stephanie. Okay. I really love yeah. learning about this.
1: And if you're ever in the beautiful redwoods of California, please come stay with us. Oh. Bring your family on vacation. We love visitors. We love telling our story out here on the farm.
0: I will definitely take you up on that. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Have a great day.
1: You too. Bye-bye.